right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Preview season still goes on as we hit August 1st when we're recording this. Can you believe it, Matt? August 1st, we're talking to Mexico Lobos football to preview the 2023 season. That's true. As of this month, there will be college football. Oh, boy. I know. I was at work today. Like, hey, remember the high school football thing we did? I'm like, yeah. That's like in two weeks. I'm like, what? Two weeks already? I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, holy crap. It's here. <laughs> Which is awesome. But I was like, I just double take. I'm like, wait, was it just July? For whatever. But football's close this month. We're going through our previews again. We've done a handful of these. So MWR.com. You can find all of our, as I say every week, written stuff. We're doing some team previews. Top 50 countdown is live. Matt, you've been posting a bunch of getting that ready for a staff vote. Uh, but podcast, you know, if you, if you wherever you fall, found the show, it just hit the subscribe and get more in your inbox or RSS feed. Do people still use RSS feeds, Matt? Well, I'm sure somebody out there does. Do you? I do not. I have one person who does. So I still use this for quite a few things. You know, when Twitter, when Twitter dying, you got to have a place to get your news instantly and not scour every single website out there. So that is correct. Excuse me. Excuse me. X. Does it, it not Twitter? It's X, right? Is that what it's called now? No, we're also calling it Twitter. Oh, yeah, at MWC wire, by the way. Also, yes. Just a quick note. I typed, I'm, a, I was thinking about this earlier today. This is a slight tangent, which we don't want to do on these podcasts. So I'm like, does Elon Musk really own X.com? Yes, if you type no. x.com, it re- redirects to Twitter. He, he does, because I put I just typed right now, x.com takes you to twitter.com. <laughs> well, uh, you, you know what we own? MWR.com? Yeah, we own, well, no, I was going to say more specifically, we own the market <laughs> on talking Mountain West football and podcast form. We do. I have a buddy we work with. He's like, I listen to it all the time because there's not much Mountain West out there, and he relies on i'm like oh thank you it's a co-worker of mine is like got pack 12 where i'm at we got big 12 now it's like i need my mountain west fix i'm like thank you he listens all the time so and you know and honestly I'm, I'm very excited to to talk about the team we're going to be covering today go lobos right or is it can we can we bring back throwbos maybe the hashtag throwbos is that a thing maybe 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 new mexico um you know, I mean, I mean, normally we have sort of an extended conversation about the previous season to to lead off each of these team previews, and you know, the, sort of the, the 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 funny thing about the Lobos in this particular case is that, you know, when you go two and ten without a win in conference, you know, the way that they did that, at least it's pretty easy to pin down exactly what went wrong for them last year. Well, I know what wrong did it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry, too easy. But, then, but, but to, to be <laughs> to be more specific, they didn't win many yes. games because they had zero offense. Yeah, not even the running back and, position. They used to have uh, a decent grasp on for a while ago, but lately it's been not no bueno. And it really doesn't matter which way you slice it. If you prefer traditional statistics, you know the fact that the Lobos offense averaged under four yards per play, 3.94, which was easily the worst figure in the Mountain West. And for, for the sake of comparison, it's about a half yard worse than Nevada, which also did not Whoa. have a particularly good offense last year. And that was even as, you know, by and large, the defense fought tooth and nail to try to keep things competitive. And, you know, most weeks it just did not matter. You know, you ended up with games where you know, it was 38 to nothing against LSU. 
that may not necessarily be all that surprising, but you know, 27 to 14 against Wyoming, 21 to 9 against rival New Mexico State, 41 to 9 against Fresno State. Like it there were so many games where, you know, with the first 15, 20, maybe to halftime, like, you know, the, the defense was trying to do a lot of heavy lifting too. Um you know, to, to keep UNM in games and it just, you know, most games, it just did not matter. You know, SP plus, they were 131st in offensive SP plus. Um, you know, they were dead last in, in points per drive on offense. They were dead last. And this is nationally, mind you, in available mm-hmm. yards percentage, 25.2%. So that means in a nutshell, if they had, if they started their own twenty-five yard line on average, you know, one quarter of, of seventy-five yards isn't even getting to midfield. On, if my math is correct, and I'm pretty sure that it is, because one third would get yeah. you to midfield. <laughs> and so, yes, you know, would. that was despite the fact that the defense, by a lot of those same metrics, you know, they were ninetieth on defense in SP plus, which, you know, isn't what you would call elite. It maybe is closer to average than anything else, um, you know. But they were by the same, you know, token. They were seventy fourth in points per drive allowed on defense, and they were sixty eighth in available yards percentage allowed on defense. So, all of which makes this very easy to sort of project. Well, not not to say it's easy to project, but it's easy to see how. 2023 is going to be defined by how effectively they solve that problem while also addressing new ones because you know Danny Gonzalez is still there you know they brought you know they elevated a new offensive coordinator or brought in a new offensive coordinator just as importantly new defensive coordinator too with Rocky Long gone to Syracuse and you know multiple impact defenders gone to the NFL like Jarek Reed the third or second rather Mm -hmm. And or to the transfer portal, guys like you know, uh, you know, AJ Odoms, Cody Moon, uh, the big one, yeah, Cody Moon, AJ Halsey. So there's a there's a lot to do here, but at the same time, there might not be an any more interesting roster anywhere in the Mountain West, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be because we mentioned they bring a quarterback. We'll get the quarterback from UAB, coach from UAB. It's going to be interesting just because we've 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 gone through this before, but we'll get to the QB in a minute. But just transfer the coming, they got picked up. We even mentioned their secondary, which we'll get to how many guys they lost. But they went with a bunch some JUCO guys to bring in to hopefully to start right away. So it's going to be it's going to be roster not just roster but the whole team because they have like Danny Gonzalez. This is year four three for him, right? No, year four. Uh, Year four, yeah, because he came in during the COVID year. So he's seven to twenty-four. I know New Mexico does have a ton of money, but typically when coaches reset OCD, I know the DC was different because Rocky Long left to the ACC. But this is like a not a desperation, but it's like okay, you get one chance to clean out your roster, clean out your staff, and do what you can with adding players, adding coaches. There's a chance if they have a similar record last year, he won't be around in twenty twenty four. But all the rosters that you mentioned, I necessarily agree. But I do think that there will be pressure to make progress in the win column. And like I I said, a lot of that is just going to come down how the offense performs. 
Yeah, they made great hires. Like Brian Vin- Brian Vincent was screwed at UAB, royally screwed, because um, their coach it was a uh, Bob Clark, correct? Uh, Bill Clark, yes, or Bill Clark. Sorry, I was getting two coaches mixed up. So he, I mean, air quotes, were stepped down due to back issues or whatever it was, because back there were some issues in fit. air quotes. Well, no, no, no. Here's why. Don't 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 make me seem like a bad bad person. He stepped down as a coach, and he's getting offers to be other coaches other places like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how ser- how serious those are. I'm just saying, like I don't. I'm not downplaying it too well. Maybe I'm a little bit, but if you're gonna retire or, st- or stop coaching, like in the middle of June, something weird's going on. But he bounces back in six months, and he can get jobs somewhere else. But that's not the problem. I'm not downplaying that. But a big thing was, why wasn't Brian Vincent just head coach? They brought in freaking Trent Dilfer's going to kill that program, UAB. And Brian Vincent did an amazing job, seven and six, with all the issues, new coach and everything, or with him being promoted, your head coach leaving, stepping down due to health issues in summer. And Mexico, this could be one of the low-key big-time hires in all of college football if it works. If they get him the five wins, it'll be amazing. And I would what definitely UAB- agree. And I think it is just as important that you know we've alluded to the quarterback situation. And Dylan Hopkins, you know, the, the the QB they brought in from UAB along with Vincent, gives that offense instant credibility. Two-year starter for the Blazers, you know, in his career, 32 total career games, 62.6% completion rate, you know, nearly eight yards per attempt, 8.9 altogether, 31 touchdowns against a 3% interception rate. You know, the last figure maybe a little bit a touch high. But it does sort of lead to one of the questions that we got from one of our our followers on Twitter about what we think the Lobos offense is going to look like with Hopkins and Vincent. And so I was wondering, like, I'm interested in your answer first before I give mine. Well, let me backtrack. We'll get to what it looked like in a minute. But I'm just hoping this isn't a Terry Wilson situation from a couple years ago where they brought the Kentucky transfer quarterback. I think it's probably behind Will Levis at the time, I believe, if that's timing might run not don't recall exactly the timing but he played well got injured came in got hurt there's hype oh top five quarterback injuries are hard to come by it's a, like to accurately reflect a player but Lobos have had just beyond bad like matter we made the quarterback t-shirt like a decade ago for a reason Matt they play all the mm-hmm. quarterbacks so fingers crossed Dylan Hopkins, Hopkins can get it done but he was fine like you mentioned 4,000 yards the amount of touchdowns he had but when you look what UAB does, like they want to run the ball as well. It's not just they're not gonna oh, yeah. rely on throwing the ball with Vincent, which will be or sorry, not Vincent, but um Hopkins. Sorry, it's OC OC Vincent. But he can run the ball a little bit himself, Hopkins. But what you see what UAB does, it's kinda of, it's a mix. It's not gonna be they're not bringing the air raid, it's not throwing a ton. They'll be balanced, but they'll want a power run as well. And then also with what Hopkins could do on the ground, he's not like a prolific runner, but he's a guy. If you think of like this is a weird comparison. Don't I'm not making the guy the comparison, but you know NFL quarterbacks where, like Russell Wilson, he can he's mobile and runs, but he doesn't necessarily run for yardage. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like more elusive. He's not a guy like Josh Allen who we know they'll do design runs, but he's a guy he can do just enough. Like if you're a QB and get, what forty yards in a game, ground game, like that's mm-hmm. pretty good. That's four four yards in a season. So I'm thinking they're gonna mix that in. But I do think the running, running, running position, running back position will be important with Luke Weissong back. But I expect them to run. But also, I know four thousand yards in two years isn't a lot, but that's better than what Lobos have ever had. 
So regardless, I think it's going to be something where they're actually going to be able to move the ball because the Blazers' offense, Pasco Pierce, when they got back from their program dismantling, they're instantly competing for conference championships. And I think they will have a good mix. And I do think, I don't know what's, I, what we know, I think the running game might be a tad better just because guys who are familiar with their own teammates, that's a thing. But I do think Hopkins, you're high in him. I think he'll at the very he'll provide something that Lobos haven't had in a while, providing he stays healthy. And I'm excited to see what they'll want to do. But it's going to be not necessarily similar to them, but it's going to be a kind of an even type of split with the, what they do. But they have a running back there. I think they have a quarterback there. And I, I think they're going to score a few more points last year. They're not going to get their butt kicked versus random teams. And so, and to go back to the question, because I, I do think that you what you've said is, is in I think that's part of the answer. And part of that has to do with some of the things I was interested in sort of researching because, you know, I, I, over the last couple of years, I never really had much excuse to watch UAB football. And so when I was asked the question of, okay, what do I think it's going to look like? I would, I did the logical thing and I went to YouTube and I found as much as I could. Yeah. Well, yeah, I found some, you know, highlights of, of the offense from last year in particular. And so I do think, you know, to, to your point first, and we'll talk more about the running backs momentarily, but it is worth noting, and this is from uh, from Parker Fleming on Twitter at Statso War. It doesn't include the bowl game that UAB played last year. Okay. But one thing that really stood out to me about UAB's team profile is this this stat, you know, that's called let's called rush rate over expected, which is essentially in a nutshell, how much more or less often are you rushing in any given situation than an average team, and so. UAB had one of the highest figures of any team in the country last year, 11.5% over expected on average. And for, by way of comparison, New Mexico itself was at 10% last year. And, you know, part of that was spurred by the fact that, you know, UAB also had really good blocking that uh, their, their leading rusher, Dwayne McBride really benefited from. And if you don't know the name uh, McBride off the top of your head, you know, just bear in mind that only Brad Roberts at Air Force had more rushing yards last year than he did. Um, and he also had over 1,300 rushing yards the year before as well. All of which is to say that, like, you know, the Blazers had everything going for a really successful and explosive running game, you know, led by McBride and a pretty quality offensive line. So I think to your point, you know, that's going to definitely be part of the puzzle. But I think for Hopkins himself, you know, I went back and I also dug into his numbers as they related to other quarterbacks in Conference USA, and I picked out a few things that I thought were pretty interesting, and that I think the uh, minor bit of film study that I did was sort of bears this out. So, one, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, his turnover-worthy rate was just three point one percent. That was the third lowest of any quarterback in Conference USA. Alternatively. I got the sense from watching the video that he's willing to stand in and take a shot if he needs to, or to let plays develop. Cause he also had the second highest pressure to sack rate 23.1%. And along the same lines, he also had an average depth of target of 10.5 yards per throw, which was fifth among quarterbacks in that conference. So the overall impression that I got and what I think will, will bear itself out when we see the Lobos on the field this fall 
is you're going to see a team that wants to stretch the field. And Hopkins, I think, you know, based on what I saw, definitely has the arm to do it. I think it's the other part of the equation having to do with the running backs and the offensive line. You know, if they want to be as effective running the football, then they're going to need, they're just going to need more from everybody overall involved. That's that's what they want, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what they want. But, and so but that's what I'm, I'm hopeful for this team to at the very least be more excited and competitive. That's kind of the first step they gotta take. Yeah. So then the question says, and then the question becomes, especially with the running backs, well, who's gonna take the lead? Is there a McBride on this roster? Because at least on on paper, in my opinion, I think the answer is no. But it may not necessarily be a bad thing because there is some intrigue among the potential candidates. You don't think Luke Weissong's going to be the main guy? Well, I think Luke Weissong is better suited as a slot receiver. Okay, that's. Uh, I mean, he yeah. might he might do a little bit of you know might do a little bit of like fly sweeps here and there, but you know they, they yeah have there, more I was, options. Yeah. Otherwise, well, so like yeah. for example. Someone like Christian Washington, you know, only 73 carries and 310 yards last year. You know, he might be a candidate, but, you know, is he also more valuable as a kick returner? And and with that in mind, might that put a cap on what his workload is going to be? Um, yeah, alter- like alternatively, five kicks a game is nothing. I don't think four to five. I don't know if that adds to his workload or injury leg issue, like leg. Uh, what am I thinking of? Just a. I cannot think. Too I get what you're saying. Just your your leg, like also, you're being help. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ready to go. But I mean, at the same time, I was also mildly disappointed in retrospect that Sherrod White didn't get um, as much run as I thought that he might going into last year. You know, but he's still around and he could very well you know take on a handful more carries per game as well. And they also brought in you know someone like a transfer from Louisiana Monroe, uh, Andrew Henry, who you know two years ago led the Warhawks in rushing. Granted, it was only like five. He was, I think, it was like five hundred seventy-three yards or somewhere in that neighborhood. Don't say, don't say that part. It's okay. He led the team in rushing. Leave it there. <laughs> but, but on a per carry basis, he was also solid as well. And I think that that is worth paying more attention to. But then, you know, beyond that trio, you've even got other candidates. Like they brought in, you know, someone from the JUCO level, like Dorian Harris. You know, they have Zach Vigil, who was the former State Player of the Year in high school. Now, he's a sophomore now. Maybe he gets a handful of carries per game. I'm guessing that they're likely to go with more of a committee approach until Vincent finds someone that he thinks can tote the rock and be the guy to salt games away if they can use the passing game to get him an early lead. That's sort of what I'm envisioning from this offense's whole. Oh, I'd hope so because running the ball, what they're doing, it's with all his options, they see talent. So it doesn't yeah. like it's like whatever. It's like okay, are they gonna be an eight hundred yard, twelve hundred yard guy? I don't care. Give me a couple of guys that could give me four and a half yards of carry, approximately in that range, and move the ball. And if you have four, three to five guys back there, they'll be like said, some committee of some sorts, and maybe somebody will, some duo or trio will emerge. But they just see guys who can run the ball. If they have healthy bodies, just rotate them in out and see who breaks free. Like you're like you're not being Texas A and M. You got Tennessee Tech week two. You have a little bit of time to figure figure things out on your to find out who a running back could be your your trio or duo, what it might become. Mm-hmm. But if 
Hopkins is solid at quarterback. If they and I've been solid. If he's a th- if you have it's like we talked about in Mexico before, like Cole Gouch, you guys like that. Be a threat to throw the ball. If you're if you're a team that and if he does what we think he can be a pretty pretty decent QB in the league, even middle of the pack, that's better than what they've had in the past for Lobos. If he can kind of throw the ball and be appreciate the respect, that'll definitely help the running game. And if you have three to five running backs, odds of him playing five a game, multiple carries slim. But you you're piling through a bunch of guys, rotating through the door there. Find your couple of guys that'll definitely be an area where you're not going to just like, oh, you're just going to run the ball, we'll stack your quarterback's not going to throw. Who cares? If it all and, depends and, on Hopkins helping opening things up a little bit to have them respect the offense Lobos have on some level. Yeah. And I would also add that everything you just said about the running backs also applies to the pass catchers. Yeah. Because I think if you had to choose one word to describe the, the group as comprised heading into 2023, interested. The mix of okay. sort of the mix of holdovers and, and and new arrivals that could potentially make a difference in this offense. That's what they want. Like they, they just need it's anybody's game. Just because you played last year and played okay, it doesn't mean you're keeping your job. This team won two games. Any every job should be open. Like ninety percent of the jobs would be open, I guess. I don't know if a I lot. necessarily agree with that a hundred percent because you meant you mentioned Wysong earlier. Oh, he's, and he's I good. think he's one of the given, given the given the level of quarterback play over the last couple of years, I think you know, yeah, his his numbers on paper don't look all that impressive. You know, thirty four catches, two hundred ninety one yards, one touchdown, but he also had a respectable drop rate of only eight percent, and I would I would hazard that. He has probably been at least a little better than the numbers would suggest operating primarily out of the slot. And I think, you know, that set, if he's handling most of that workload, so then the question becomes, okay, well, who's gonna who's gonna play roles outside? Because on the one hand, they have you know returning veterans like Andrew Erickson, you know, 12 catches last year, Deuce Jones flash potential here and there as well. But to me, the real keys are gonna be. You know, they brought in so many interesting transfers. Who is going to be, you know, the one, two, maybe three guys that, you know, ends up getting 20, 30, 40 targets and makes the most of them because they've got so many fascinating new candidates. Like case in point, someone like DJ Washington. How much do you know about mm-hmm. DJ Washington off the top of your head? Not a, not a ton. Besides he, ca- he catches all the passes. Juco guy. So he, so yeah, and I was gonna say he's exactly the kind of interesting candidate that I I've tried to pay more attention to this offseason. Guys who come in from JUCO from junior colleges who have made a huge impact at that level to see what they could do at the next level. So for those of you not in the know, he played at Iowa Central City College or community college rather, 30 games altogether, 24 touchdowns. 18.9 yards per catch. And you know, I wasn't able to find that many highlights of him from, from his Juco games. But he looks like like he looks like he doesn't belong there in a positive way. Because he's listed as six foot five and 219 pounds. Yeah. He looks huge for that level. And so mm-hmm. he he really presents this sort of interesting template that you can that you can dream upon. Like, can he be like a huge red zone guy for this offense if they can put it together? You know, with his long strides, you know, he could definitely be someone who might be able to stretch the field 
And as and as as someone who averaged 19 yards a catch in his JUCO career, I'm sure that he would welcome that opportunity. But he's not even the only one in that group who could who could be you know be able to do something like that. You know, they also brought in Ryan Davis, who like Hopkins knows the system from UAB. You know, his main problem is uh, he's been you know banged up here and there over the last couple of years. They also brought in someone like Jeremiah Hickson from Alabama State, 31 games altogether there. 12.4 yards per catch and 11 touchdowns. He's got a solid track record. They also brought in other guys. Caleb Medford is in from TCU. TCU um, yeah. you know, Magnus Gears and the tight end and from Temple. Everett Hunter and from Modesto Junior College. And that's not to say, and that's nothing to say of like other holdovers that they have. Like, you know, Trace Bruckler missed most of last year with injury. Maybe he's a factor again, though. He's 100%. 100%. Maybe Connor Whithoff steps up. So they've got like all of a sudden, flush with candidates that might be seeing like 10 or 20 targets. And even if they don't have like one obvious all conference candidate, if a number of these guys can just step up and be reliable with better quarterback play at their disposal, that could be a real game changer for this team's overall fortunes. Yeah. They just need explosiveness somewhere. They need talent. And that's why we're, we're, we're you and we're rattled off a million names like Medford, Metro Hicks, and all these guys. DJ Washington, Mangus, Gear, Magnus Gears from Temple. We don't know who's going to be that the guy. I think the plan is is with the portal area now. It's like okay, come on, you guys leave, guys come go, find guys. This is what JUCO used to be like. Kansas State and teams like that used to get a lot of JUCO guys and be great quickly with mm-hmm. a gap when when they recruit. Younger guys to kind of take a year to fill in. So you're not playing the young guy, you're playing a guy who's experienced. So we don't know who'll be, but they're just not. It's not like they're throwing stuff against wall. That's not what Gonzalez and guys are doing here. They're bringing players off the system that either didn't play somewhere else, they were under recruited. JUCO guys missed falling the cracks, or guys didn't get playing time. At bigger schools want to come out here and play. They're gonna all these guys. Think of this: if you're a transfer guy, you want to come improve yourself. You're not coming in just to oh, play whatever school and. Football, you're coming into like I didn't have a chance to come here and step up and play. So all these guys are get, who transferred in are gonna be motivated to do something big, and so that's what Lobos need. And there's no complacency because they weren't very good. Everybody knows like there's a few guys like with my song will be significant player, but at some point some of these guys got to hit right. Like you bring in the co- coordinators done good done good things. You bring in players who are either played a lot JUCO level or were at a higher program and didn't play off but considered a pretty good recruit. It's got to come together at some point. And I do like with all the influx of players, just kind of like, well, it'll be, we'll know in week three who these guys are, like the players. It's hard for you or me, like, oh, we think this guy's going to be outside like four people. So the portal is something that if Lobos can find the right guys, it's not going to do it like USC or teams that can do a quick turnaround to that level, clearly. But it'll do, hopefully, the goal is just improves gradually every year and. Like this is Gonzalez has to do this. so all the options are on the table. Like I said, new coordinators, all these JUCO and transfer guys from FBS programs, FCS coming in. It's gonna be exciting to f- figure out who it is because the first again first couple weeks they're gonna get, they're gonna beat by Texas A&M. Guys will play a lot of guys. So Tennessee Tech will be the opposite hopefully, and a lot of guys will play, and we'll see what goes on then. But I think we'll know Matt better who kind of the top players are after a couple weeks. We just don't know right now. Like, let's put it this way. You say they need to have talent. If I were a Lobos fan, I would probably make the claim that they have a little bit of talent at their disposal. 
Now it just comes win. to production. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we've got talent should equal some wins at some level. But it'll it'll be exciting. What about the offensive line? We haven't touched on them enough. We talked about but, maybe running back. But but what? Uh-oh. Everything we've discussed to this point might be moot if the offensive line is still a bummer. Oh no. No, that's what they don't want to hear. What do they have? A hundred okay. So I'm just gonna so I'm gonna lay it out there for, for Lobos fans because you know they you can't pin offensive inefficiencies on any one group, but it is it is pretty clear when you look at the numbers that you know there was and 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 of course you know some of this related to injuries. You know there you know DJ Wingfield yeah. for example missed basically the entire year after being expected to start at, at uh, left tackle. I think. Um, yeah, he's he's a right tackle. But you know, this is this is still a unit that uh, that was 115th nationally in line yards per carry, 116th in stuff rate allowed. So you know, getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage, and 130th with a 14.3% sack rate. So basically, that's what one every six dropbacks their quarterbacks are getting sacked. Yikes! All of that has to get better, and I have to think you know maybe more so. Than, than everybody else, that is probably priority number one for Vincent and the rest of that coaching staff. Because you know, one thing that I found, and it's and it's hard to talk, it's hard to describe on a podcast, but there was this this graph that that Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter put out way back in January about which offenses had the most consistent run blocking. And it's very interesting. To go back, and you can probably search, you know, Statso or UAB if you want to see this for yourself. It's very interesting to see the difference between UAB where UAB is in the top right corner, and the and where New Mexico is in the bottom right corner. So because they didn't, saying. yeah, they didn't have a ton of blocks, but they weren't terribly efficient at opening big holes you know the, the way that parker described it is that when you're if you're in the top right you have a good run game because of good blocking if you're in the bottom right where new mexico is it was a bad run game but not because of bad blocking so they didn't have a ton of blown blocks but when they did blow blocks it was often for very big losses mm. and so like if, if you're looking for a silver lining it's that you know, with the injuries from last year that a lot of guys got through a trial by fire and they have more experience at their disposal this time around. So like they still have guys like, you know, CJ James at center. He's probably pretty much set at that position. JC Davis stepped up and had a, you know, he had an adequate year at left tackle. He's back. Wingfield is back from injury and they got, you know, some other younger guys with the, with starting experience guys like Shanko Matautia um you know isaiah Silliman, you know guys who were able to step in at least temporarily get a little bit of starting experience under their belt and give this unit overall uh i would say a, a better position from which to start while also bringing in you know a couple of transfers here as well like they brought in sam talisa from uh georgetown i believe so there's obviously still going to be a lot to figure out and there's probably going to be a lot of pressure on this unit to to sort of make progress one way or another. Like I didn't even mention other transfers, like you know Travis Gray is in from Colorado, um, and I believe they also brought in someone from Alabama State as well, Torian Stafford. There's going to be pressure on everybody, this entire group, 
to step up and get things going in the right direction because it's been maybe the biggest problem on this offense overall since Danny Gonzalez got there. And hopefully these guys coming back from injury, new scheme. Like, cause what is okay? You mentioned the graph about UAB in New Mexico and that area. Like, what's like? Is it his scheme he's going to do to help the offensive line? Is it just the way he coaches? That's a like what what other talent was around the offensive line at UAB? So it's kind of it's a good to point out that he's overseeing and in charge of what a good offensive line can do. That's clearly hmm. a big well, positive here with the returning because you know line. obviously everybody well everybody knows that Vincent came in from UAB. What is perhaps less known, but maybe no less important, is that Cam Blankenship, the Lobos offensive line coach, also came in from UAB. Mm, that's good too. It's good to know. And so maybe, he, and, he and, and so that that makes me think. You know what that reminds me of, especially as a, as a Fresno State alum. Yeah, you know, we were we here in the, in the Central Valley remember what Kalen DeBoer was able to do with with Fresno State, but he didn't do it alone. He did it with Brian Grubb who they worked together all the way back to NAIA Sioux Falls. Mm. You know, they worked together at uh, Eastern Michigan. Now they're working together at Washington. Why, why couldn't it be? You know, if you I look at his, so. if you look yeah. at his profile on the Lobos website, you know, it's, you know, it's, since he worked at UAB in 2016, 11 all-conference players. So he has a little bit of credibility behind him, both he and Vincent to you know get things going in the right direction so i think if you if you're one of those people that looks at you know key position coach hires i would say that blankenship is probably at or near the top of the list so what's your concern level of the offensive line just not being good i think if i were a new mexico fan well like what what's like what's what would you say is 10 percent better than cautious optimism is it just optimism? Yeah, I'd say a little bit more of that. I think they've made some really there. good coaching hires, which is why yeah, I think definitely. this is such an interesting team. And that's and that's also true on defense as well. Because yeah, losing Rocky Long sucks. We know his track record and what he's able to do, what he's been able to do at both New Mexico and San Diego State. But the guy they're replacing with, you know, Troy Reppitt. One, he knows the program. He was previously the cornerbacks coach for Rocky Long. Um, yeah, so like you know, he knows and he has his own track record of development as well. And I think it, you know, he because he runs the same system, they're going to be continuing to run the three through five. You know, the, the challenge I think isn't so much that like, okay, well, we're we're losing a, a very well regarded defensive coach. You know, is everything going to change? Well, no, that's not the case. It was also a defense that was better than it showed, I think, by a lot of metrics. You know, they were above average with a 7.3% sack rate. And, you know, 5.54 yards per play allowed doesn't sound great, but it was it was ninth in the Mountain West, so it wasn't terrible. Yeah. But they have, yeah, I would say, more specific challenges that they're going to have to deal with, which is going to put pressure on this turnaround. That they're trying to engineer one they've got to renew their pass rush because as good as it was last year you know now all of a sudden you look at the roster and you realize oh yeah their top three pass rushers from a year ago are all gone, gone. yeah, yeah Cody Nunes in San Diego State, Rico Hanna's gone Justin Harris is gone so there's going to be a lot of pressure on on some guys to stay healthy elsewhere on the defense that we'll talk about in a moment but I think you're know, starting up front 
we we know that they have at least a couple of you know i would say solid contributors and i think chief among those you look at a guy like bryce santana over the last couple of years you know not you know the numbers aren't going to jump off the page but he had three sacks last year you know from the from the defensive interior mind you you know one pass breakup 24 total tackles he's been solid over the last couple of years but who's going to fill in the gaps around him and again, they have a lot of options at their disposal. It's just a matter of okay, who's going to step up, win jobs, take on large roles. Is it going to be holdovers like Tyler Keene, Kyler Drake? You know, there there are some guys that they they've liked out of spring ball. Joe Ray Myers is one of them. And and even here, you know, they brought in some interesting transfers who could step up and make a difference. They brought in Gabriel Lopez from Washington State. Hunter Rapola from Mount Jacinto College, uh, I believe in Southern California. He had 17 TFLs, by the way, in 19 career games at the JUCO level. You know, is is one of those guys, do they, I mean, not to not to put a lot of pressure on them, but mm-hmm. do they have another Joey Noble in the mix or or something approaching that? The thing is, they seem to almost every year, that guy just leaves after one year being great. There's I mean, they do tend to figure it out, but it's just, it's going to be a question of, okay, if they're going to figure it out, who's going to be the answer? Because they have a lot of options, but it's still, I think, especially up front in the first three of that three, three, five, you know, like we just don't know how it's going to shake out. It could just as easily fall sideways and teams could find themselves having a much easier time, you know, running against this front six. Yeah. And with the new guys in there and what we've seen them do, it's like you point out what they did last year for scoring wise defensively. They're going to need, because obviously there's a lot of work to be done. So we could spend forever going, Oh, they need this, they need that. But when you kind of look at who they play, like what are they, what are the teams need to do? Like the schedule, like you mentioned schedule, but there's more than those first couple of games. Their first month isn't difficult outside of Texas A&M. So we will, they'll have some identity. So they don't need to worry too much about like, We'll talk about New Mexico State UMass, but what do they need to focus on defensive front? Okay, Hawaii throws the ball a lot, or San Jose State throws the ball a lot. You have probably just Fresno State. Boise State will probably throw a reasonable amount. Like, I'm talking about guys who chuck it down the field, referring to a yeah, pass rush they want to present. Like, Doug Brumfield, UNLV, not like a not spreading that wide. The only teams they'll probably honestly throw above average on the whole schedule. Want, uh, not one of them, wait, San Jose State. And Hawaii, I know Fresno State probably with Jeff Tedford. I'd put them in that mix and potentially Boise State, but they run the ball. So if the, the pass rush, obviously clearly helpful. If you could stack a team, knock a knock a ball down, that's great. But they're not the front seven or not the nine for some of the front defensive lines, not gonna have to focus on tan the quarterback. They won't have a quarterback to go after hit. So they gotta focus on okay, the stop the running game. That'll be more prevalent for what uh, the offense are going up against. Will probably be more prevalent. Texas A&M, who knows? They're losing all the quarterback, but they'll be good, so it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. I do think that's what area where a defensive line, like it's cliche, get the quarterback, get the line scores, but they're not going to deal with the high flying passing quarterback all week. If that makes sense, for what their focus could be on, they can narrow a focus to stop the run more often. And their coaches obviously are smarter than me and know all this stuff. If I'm even mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong, man. Who knows? I could be 100 percent wrong, but I'm just saying. What their attention of detail can be can be tweaked a little bit to, like, if you're working on, a, you don't have to worry about a few things over here. You worry on majority, more majority of the other items coaches are looking at. They could be better and could be good. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's I'm just looking at different things, different possibilities. That if it's a more team that's more balanced or more running, okay, don't worry about a quarterback back there. And you have to we can work on other things to help out to uh maybe not give up like 47 points to a random team that's just okay. Like uh and yeah, nobody that doesn't fit anybody last year, but you get my point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do get your point. And I do think that it'll help too that even despite losing Cody Boone, the linebackers might still be pretty good. Hope so. If they could stay healthy. It's always because the, the the one thing that the veteran trio of Alec Marenko, Ray Lutellian, and Sayer Riley you have in common is each of those guys missed time last year with injury. You know, Marenko, I believe it was an ACL injury. Um, you know, for Lutellian, it was a foot injury. Uh, and Riley, I, for, I forget exactly. I looked it up earlier and I forgot to write it down. So I apologize for that. But you know, each of those guys has shown a little bit of potential. Like he was, you know, only two years ago, 2021, when, when Lutelli, for example, you know, got a lot more playing time as a sophomore where he had four sacks and the only player on the team that had four was, was Noble, who we mentioned earlier. So we know that he's got potential to be that kind of attacking linebacker that can really thrive in this offense. And it may be that they need one or two of those guys to step up and be able to sort of fill that role. But even if they do get banged up again, I think that the Lobos internally might feel a little bit better about their overall depth because they brought in some really interesting Juco guys as well. You know, they brought in Dimitri Johnson, you know, who had six TFLs, three and a half sacks. Um, you know, they also brought in Mihaela Centurineos. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. I practiced it. <laughs> Five and a half TFLs, two sacks at Sierra City College. Uh, so they they've got some interesting players here as well, and I think they they like the group that they have, and and you know maybe knowing what this defense typically looks like from, from year to year, it's that group effort that's going to help them you know make up for the losses that they've had elsewhere on defense. Yeah, okay, because you look at like two years ago, I guess heading to last year, linebacking group was obviously the best of Moon, so those guys learned from some talent back there and. I, there's all there's always a good position out there. It's going to be all right. It's usually a tackle or linebacker that somebody will step up and be the guy. And I hope that's the case. And I hope, like you said, players missed time from injury last year. It's it, you can't predict that. It's like mm, just be out there and make not to make the most of it. But we, I don't want, I don't like doing that. It's like, ah, oh, well, if they stay healthy, but that, it happened last year, so I guess mm-hmm. that's something we got to look at in that particular unit. But the secondary doesn't look good. Like they. <laughs> I kind of alluded to before. Ronald Wilson gone. Adaria Halsey. Uh, I can never say it right. Uh, gone. You have uh, AJ Odoms gone. You have all these guys. Depth and good players are leaving this program, and so it's like, are they starting over again? However, I'd like to say, Matt Dante Martin's back. He's pretty good, right? He got some transfers. In even even banged all. up last year. I think I believe he missed a few games with injury, but he was still pretty good. Six six pass breakups and oh, an yeah. interception in nine games. Like he's a guy. It's like legit. For it could be first team all conference. I I would look and, at my. I for, forget if he landed on any other all conference list, but they got talent. Bring some transfers. There's a. They lost a lot, so that's concerning. But if you have one or two guys back there, that can go a long way, especially if one's like a lockdown player like Martin. Well, and I think the difference in the secondary relative to the two units up front is, you know, you mentioned Martin. You you did not mention Tavian Combs. Apologies. 
Yeah, and you know, getting him back, he missed. Yeah, he had three games, and then he missed the rest of the year with an injury himself. You know, getting him back to lock down that. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what they call it—the Lobo position, I believe it is. Yes, it is. It's yes, it huge is. for them. And then you know, then the question becomes: Okay, well, you have two solid, proven quantities in the backfield. You know, who else is going to step up? And you know, I think the the difference between this unit, like I mentioned. Young guys got a fair bit of be. run in the secondary that could be in line for much larger roles. And that's something that Danny Gonzalez, you know, whether out of necessity or out of just people earning jobs, is is something that he hasn't sh- been shy. Um, he hasn't been shy about doing it. Like Halsey, for example, was one of the best defenders anywhere in the conference last year. And I believe he was a freshman before he transferred out. So I'm very interested in the sophomore duo of Zach Morris and Jamarius Lewis, both of whom got time at cornerback and safety respectively last year. You know, are are they going to be able to take a step forward after having gotten their feet wet? You know, Morris, I believe, had a couple of pass breakups. Uh, Jamarius Lewis had one himself. So, like, they've, they've got a little bit of playmaking ability, or at least they flashed that. Uh, in the amount of you know playing time that they were able to receive over the last five six weeks of the season, but at the same time, you know you've got you know other holdovers like Hunter Sellers could be in line for a bigger job. You know, Bobby Wooden, I believe, is uh, he was a wide receiver last year, was he not, or a running back? I uh, played some in offense. Yes. Yeah, he's 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 making a switch to safety, and they also brought in a really interesting duo, Marvin Covington. And Dar- uh, Darko Perkins McAllister, both of whom were originally committed to TCU, both transferred out to the Lobos. Can one or both of those guys secure a role? Um, so it's very, it's fascinating to me how this unit is going to regroup and come together. Well, Perkins McAllister feels feels still as like as a fourth team guy, so they could have two guys potentially battling for all conference. Exactly. And I and again going back to my original statement, part of it that's good and a bad that bad thing that they're not facing these that I could get a million passes toward them. But mm-hmm. what they it's it's just a weird thing. I'm like, I don't know why I'm diving into that, going into that thing. But it just makes sense. Like if you have new guys, new new players at your new position, like if they're facing air raid teams like Washington State or Ole Miss will spread it out a bit, or just teams that just want to throw a ton, that could be a problem. But with what they did last year, the couple of guys returning in, like if you're recruited TCU, you're a pretty good player, right? So is there something mm-hmm. cool or not? Not you could not necessarily bad, but there's a reason that he didn't go there into Mexico. It's like New Mexico. It's like okay, but I I think with the, what this secondary will have going for them is that they're not going to be tested for 60, 50 times a game. Yeah, first Nuggets see a couple others, and that'll be helpful. And then if they're mm-hmm. that good, they'll be great. It'll be a, it'll be an area where they can make make their own plays. I just think. I want to hope the Rocky Long stuff is sticking with these guys and it'll, it'll just kind of help them. Like, there's a reason Lobo's defense is already pretty good, like, relatively to talent and recruiting numbers to actual production. Yeah, I would and say hopefully- this is an area, this is an area where I would be cautiously optimistic as opposed to 10% more than cautiously yeah. optimistic. Well, the offense is like, eh, fingers crossed, right? So yeah. I, I think this year it'll be fine. There's always going to be cracks. There's always going to be, it's a new, and we're not going to, like honestly, when we get our win loss, it's not going to be amazing. We're also looking for good parts on this team. They can they can bring in like transfers come and go all the time. Some work amazing, some don't. Hopefully, 
like I said earlier on, New Mexico, clearly we know they're a bottom 10% team right now, the whole FBS. But if there's a guy who never played at TCU, a guy who never played at Iowa State, or a JUCO guy who didn't get a look because he's an inch and a half smaller, but he's just as good as everybody else. If those guys start working out, like this will hopefully help build something for them. And they, I just don't want them to win two games. They got to win more games. It's 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 going to be hard to be like, honestly, if you're a fan and your team is not a great team, and for a while you're diehard, you're awesome, but it's just uh, we want to give people some hope. Well, I would also I would also add that their special teams might again be pretty good as well. Yeah, they want the better place kickers in the league. They'll have they'll be good. Like you mentioned, Washington returning kicks. I think they will be what I don't remember. They were in our ranking. Were they top four? And what we did when we did that in the off season? You know, I don't have that in front of me, but that sounds about right. But I mean, they they've got good pieces in every facet of that part of the game. Like you know, you you mentioned uh, Luke Drzwicki finally looks like an answer at kicker for them you know 10 of 14 yeah. doesn't doesn't sound like much on field goal opportunities but that's a huge improvement from where they've been in the last couple yeah. of years and i think um, you, made yeah, you also mentioned well. washington as a kick returner you you may recall that he had a 100 yard kick six last yeah. year yeah, and then aaron rodriguez despite being the the busiest kicker anywhere in the country over the last couple of years busy punter rather has been, I, I would say, the solid second best punter in the conference the entire time. And there's no shame in that, you know. Next to Matt Ariza and Ryan Stonehouse, and and more recently Jack Browning, he's more than held his own. Forty four point two yards per punt last year, uh, twenty four forty one kicks inside the twenty yard line. So like he gets the job done, and you know those guys could also benefit from just better offensive performances as well. Because, you know, if, yeah. if Washington is returning a kick out to, like, let's say the 35-yard line, if if the offense is better overall, you, it's not going to be like a three and out. It might, you know, they might be able to threaten to midfield or past midfield and and change the calculus about what how often they want to push the envelope and things like that. So it's 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 sort of that cascade effect. No, definitely. Get the extra 10 yards here, 15 yards there. Lobos, as we know, they need all the yards and help they can get when they're moving the ball whether flipping the field or throwing a 20-yard pass. That's right. Schedule time? Let's do it. All right. So they open with, like I mentioned, what's this, the fourth time? At Texas A&M. So you're getting a payday. Uh, they're not going to win, folks. That's what we're going to bring up. But that's not what we're starting with this. Aggies. Can we just make fun of Bobby Petrino? Like, is there gonna, this is a game one for the Aggies. Is there going to be some weird fight or some sort of tension because uh head coach Jimbo Fisher said, eh, I think Bobby Petrino might call plays, you know, the former UNLV. Are, are, we, are we really here to disparage former UNLV offensive coordinator, Bobby Petrino on this podcast? Yeah. What about for, yeah. And also former Colorado state coach, Steve Adazio, who's running the offensive line. So, so that's what went wrong for the Aggies last year. Yeah, that's exactly. That's one. Of it. They also had to play multiple quarterbacks last season. So that wasn't helpful. I mean, I, was, with, I mean, uh, and the, that's that's only partly tongue in cheek. Like the the, the Aggies were oh, pretty know. much a disaster last year, um, which is not to say that they don't still have like a huge talent advantage over the uh, over the Lobos. Like you know, Anaya Smith might still be one of the most explosive players anywhere in the country yeah. if he's healthy. Um, you know, they've got a lot of strong defensive pieces. On which they can drive upon Walter Nolan, the former number one, uh, or excuse me, number two 
overall high school recruit in last year's class, you know, played pretty well as a true freshman last year. Um, you know, two and a half tackles for loss, 29 tackles in sort of part-time duty. He could step up. They've got interesting pieces, but it's like, okay, what is the quarterback situation going to look like? Is it going to be Max Johnson or is it going to be Connor Wigman? And and is Smith going to be able to stay healthy? And if he doesn't, how well can other guys like Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad step up in his stead? And as you mentioned, is the is the coaching staff going to just implode at any point and make a game, if not necessarily this one, maybe a more critical game, a lot closer or a lot harder than it has to be? He's in a weird spot because they expect to win. Had no one recruiting clusters. I think offseason, Nick Saban's team bought his class and everything. There clearly is a talent disparity, but this game, okay. I would say it'd be a success if they could score 17 points. Oh, I think they would love it if they could score 17 points. It, oh, you you know what this strikes me as? Like, I don't think New Mexico is going to win this game. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold, hold on. They're not going to win this game? <laughs> what do you get at? Well, but it also strikes me as exactly the kind of game where Texas A&M fans would walk away feeling deeply unhappy about their team's performance. So you mean similar to the uh, 17-9 Miami game last year or something like that? Winning 23-21 yeah. versus Arkansas? I don't know if it'd be like that, but they played New Mexico a couple years ago, it's 34-0. And so okay, I maybe don't look at the think 10 this points. AM team is as good as that one. No. I also think this New Mexico team has the potential to at least be slightly better than the one from two years ago. Better than 31-0? Better than 31-0. Interesting. I don't know, man. Ah, it's interesting. Okay. I'm not, we're not doing score predictions here, but what, what I want to see is them to be healthy in this game, first of all. Because remember when Alabama and Utah State played last season, it was uh, mm-hmm. get the guys out of there, but it's too late for Logan Bonner. So that's the main goal. But also, this will give you a chance to play a lot of players because, like we mentioned, how many Juco running backs or transfers are bringing in? For like not running back, but receiver, running back, defensive line, defensive end, safety. We mentioned TCU guys coming in. This will be a game where we can see if they can, who's going to step up and make a play against a really, really good team. Mm-hmm. But, and we can see Don Hopkins game one. We'll see. Maybe there could be some magic. He gets a quick touchdown or something. And for a brief moment, it'll be like seven to zero Mexico before the final score is 41 13. I mean, I'm sure that Lobos fans could probably live with that. They're okay. We're we're good. Tennessee Tech FCS team. I got a. Are you are you ready for an FCS minute? No, I want to. Just, I want to mention some before you get to it. So give me my fifteen okay. seconds here. So ticket prices for this game: twenty three dollars. A steal. Te- a steal. Well, more expensive. I just noticed this than Texas A and M game of nineteen tickets on the road. So I just thought that interesting. That's yeah. I know at Kyle Field holds hundred thousand people. But I kind of figured it, the minimum would be fifty bucks or something. So Tennessee right, Tech, we... kind of an interesting team. Maybe a little bit unlucky last year, going four and seven, only two and three in conference. Yeah, they had a number of close losses. Even though I think you know, on the whole, they ended up breaking even in close games. Yeah, they had three close wins against Lindenwood, North Alabama, and, and Texas A&M Commerce. 
the last Texas A&M Commerce is a Division Two team, are they not? I believe so. Maybe they're transitioning up, but they're a low, low level team. Yeah. But at the same time, they also lost by five to Samford. They lost in overtime to Kennesaw State. And they lost to, to North Carolina Central by two points. So they had a pretty strong offense last year and a defense that maybe gave up more, more yards per play than they wanted to. You know, allowed 31.8 points per game. Yeah, I looked at that. But it does Not seem good. on paper like their the potential to sort of flip that script is there. You know, they... And one of the interesting things in researching Tennessee Tech, did you, like, did you, were you aware that there's a merger between the Big South and the Ohio Valley Conference on the FCS level? Yeah, because I follow Matt Brown Extra Points newsletter. So, de- yes. There you I'm go. With this, com- with anyway. this conference kind of uh, merger slash partnerships. We need more of that. Anyway. Yes. So, Tennessee Tech. <laughs> hey, Pac-12. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, during, during the recent, uh, you know, their media days, Tennessee Tech picked fourth in this new combined league combined. Well, I don't even know what they're calling it officially on ESPN. It says big South dash OVC. And they've got a bit of interesting talent on, on defense in particular, you know, they have a graduate defensive lineman, Kali Dava, who was an all conference pick last year, sophomore linebacker, Hawkes McGowan was also pretty good. Um, you know, all newcomer selection, 59 tackles, uh, but I, but I think at this point, this is not a game that New Mexico should lose. Like, I think Tennessee yeah. Tech might be a solid FCS team. The Lobos should be good enough to beat a solid FCS team handily. Yeah, they'll get the win. And, and again, game number two, playing these type of teams, they'll get a chance to sell these guys. Then they get the rivalry game, New Mexico State. It's going to be on the Mountain Network, man. It's not even going to be on... CBS, well, it's on the Mountain Network, so I guess everybody can watch it for free. Sounds good. But these, let's, just these think, games, let's just think the heavens is not on Flow Sports. Oh, yes. It was it 40 bucks a month, no free trial? It's like, no, I want to watch one game. That's how they get you. But, yeah, it's not Flow Sports, but it is a rivalry game. And as we know, there's been so many great matchups. Um, I have a quick question. Jerry Kill is still their head coach, right? They're, they're on Los Cruces? That is correct. Okay. Because last year, they – did all right. They actually no, they did more. Right. They, won, they won the oh sorry, I'm looking at twenty. Sorry, I'm looking. I thought I was looking wrong here. They won the bowl game last year over Bowling Green in the uh quick lane bowl. So it's not gonna be an easy game because Lobos how many wins last year, Matt? Two? Is my math? No, correct? the Aggies are on the upswing, and it's not just because they won this rivalry game last year. Sorry, I meant the Lobos won two games. My that's the Aggies again. Sorry. So that's there's a big difference in these games with the Lobos not being well in Mexico State kind of uh Going to another bowl game, which they don't do very often in their era, I guess you can call it. You know, you know what they do do though. What do they do well? They they go to a new conference. They're in Conference USA now. That's right. I forgot. They're no longer an independent because the Sun Belt didn't want them either. So and they might actually conference. they might actually mess around and win a championship there. No. I mean, I'm not saying that they're the likely front runner, but there's no doubt that the Aggies have. have been vastly improved over the last couple of years i think the challenge for them is that you know compared to last year they're losing a ton of defensive pieces like you know their top two linebackers trevor brohard and chris ojo both gone bryce jackson who had transferred in from unlv he's gone cyrus dumas is gone lazarus williams is gone so is donovan king the good news for new mexico state is they do have a ton coming back on offense 
know, they have, I believe, their top three or four runners back from a year ago, led by Star Thomas, had over 500 yards and five touchdowns. You know, the quarterback, Diego Pavia, came on strong as the year progressed. Took him a little bit of time to find his footing, but, you know, he was one of the difference makers for them down the stretch in, in getting them to that bowl and helping them win it. Um, and he's got a lot of weapons around him that all of a sudden look like they might be pretty solid at a minimum. Guys like Cordell David, Jonathan Brady. So, you know, we, we I think we tend to make light of, of N- uh, NMSU in general, but I do think like they should be a solid, if not very good team for Conference USA. And I do think that they're probably a bad matchup for the Lobos even in 2023 so I don't think they're going to win that one I think the Aggies are going to take that rivalry game again yeah their Aggies were projected fifth in the sun or excuse me conference USA but also includes Jacksonville State Mason State new teams moving up so I'm trying to it's at home so I'm going to go to the the uh, Lobos going to get the victory I I get your point Aggies have done well. They went to bowl game last year. I'm going to be positive with Lobos. Really positive. They're going to be Tennessee Tech. Dylan Hopkins will be Dylan Hopkins will be on a roll. They're going to find who's who's the running back in this game. But I think they'll win this rivalry game. And it's probably you're most likely right, Matt, because New Mexico State does have what they're returning and went to bowl game, and has an experienced coach in Jerry Kill, more experienced than Danny Gonzalez. But I'm going Lobos to have two wins. After just a couple games, two wins, two and one. They'll tie their win total from last year after this week. That's what I'm getting at. And then they get one of the most unusual non conference games anywhere on the Mountain West schedule this year at UMass, at Massachusetts. And can I just say, thank goodness this game didn't happen last year. That would Not have been for, for for true sickos. Because uh, you may recall at the very beginning of this podcast, I mentioned that New Mexico was dead last points per drive uh, on offense. Would you like to know who was next to last in points per drive on offense? The UMass Minutemen. That's correct. Would you also like to know who was next to last in available yards per drive on offense? UMass? No, that was a trick question. That was actually Rutgers, but UMass yeah. was 129. <laughs> Fool. They, that's, that's good. Good job. <laughs> um, one and 11 last year. Their quarterbacks, I, I didn't realize this until I was I was brushing up with Phil Steele. Thank you, Phil Steele. Their quarterbacks combined. Uh-oh. And we, we say that you know, New Mexico had a disastrous passing game last year. Four touchdowns. 14 interceptions for UMass last year. Six different players to a pass. Not great. Um, and, and it doesn't seem like that side of the ball in particular is going to be that much better, which is kind of a bummer because they have at least one decent receiver in George Johnson, 28 catches, 402 yards and a touchdown last year. Like if they could find question. someone to get him the ball, like they might have something. And that's just, you know, it's sort of an open question as to whether things are going to get any better there. Did you see Gino Campioti, Campioti what he does, the tight end I slash have. quarterback? He threw 74 passes last year as a quarterback. He's listed right, as a tight end 
and he still had he and he ran the ball 102 times, and he. Oh, I was hoping he had more catches in that game. I thought I hope, in the season, but who's gonna be who's gonna be the quarterback? And so I just thought that was a funny antidote. That's a tight end who throws the ball and runs the ball, but did not catch a pass last year. That's that's a feat. Good accomplishment there, to UMass. I will say though that they've got they've got one quality defender in Jordan Mahoney, their cornerback. Uh, forty-two tackles last year, nine passed, nine passes defended. So, like, he might be able to to lock horns with whoever ends up being New Mexico's number one receiver. But if the Lobos are going to meet expectations, they have to win this game, and yeah. I do think that they will. Yeah, I think they'll get this one as well. It's it's the only concern. It's a super long road trip. It's awkward. It's out there. Um, they know, they got to know like that team's not great, but they also know they're not great. I think they'll win this game going across the country and they'll take care of business and be three and one after a league play. And then we get to their league slate, Matt. And we'll kind of break this up. It's actually, it's it kind of in pairs almost, if you think about it. They have back to back easy ish games and kind of back to back harder games. Like Wyoming's, Wyoming's obviously tough. And San Jose State, those are difficult. Then they go Hawaii at Nevada. We'll see UNLV, that middle stretch is a little bit softer. Then they end tougher. So they have there's an area where and if the schedule works out, they could help them win more than last year. But going to yeah, I was gonna say, like defense, who 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 offended somebody at the league at the league office that they gave the Lobos Boise State and Fresno State back to back in November? And on the road. On and on the road. Like and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Boise State and New Mexico is a protected rivalry in the new rotation, right? I don't know why, but yes, that was one of the weird things. I guess it's the uh, you beat us once in the blue turf, we'll own you forever type of thing. Is that what it is? That's what I'm saying. Like somebody must have owed somebody something or somebody must have like looked at somebody the wrong way for that to happen. It's part of Boise State's preferred uh, media rights deal. <laughs> but anyway, I think you know, I think I do think that your reading of their conference schedule is probably the correct one. You know, yeah. most of their toughest games are away from Albuquerque and I, I, I would throw Wyoming in there too but mm. conversely like the the home schedule is not terrible for a team that's looking to make headway you know I think obviously yeah. San Jose State of the four home opponents it in my opinion I would give them the slight edge over everybody else but I do think you know having to host UNLV and trying to turn trying to flip that result from last year is also going to be tough but there are some winnable games here, and hold I think you know, so you hold on. You put you you put New Mexico over Utah State. That's the other home game. You think they're going to be better than? I think they're going to beat to Utah State. So yeah. Oh, early spoiler for schedules. Okay. Continue. Well, we we talked about Utah State during our first team pro preview podcast. Go and listen to that for more information. But uh, <laughs> yes. long story short, the TLDL version. I'm not really feeling the Aggies this year. Go listen to find out, right? There you go. So, but I do, but it, I, but I think I'm kind of man, manageable there from how they play and who they play. So when we look at the home game, let's kind of finish up that for a road game. So if we're looking at home games, I don't think they're beating San Jose State. I like the Spartans a bit more than you do. I think they'll have too much in this game. In game, it won't be. I think Lobos can hang around a bit because Spartans. Yeah, I think you're right. Weird stuff, and there's always a weird. Like we mentioned Kyrie Robertson, there's a 
running may not be ideal, but I think that's a game where San Jose State may screw around. Like, who did they play? Was it two years ago that FCS team that went on a two point conversion? A couple was it last year or the year before. So I could see something in that vein where they allow Lobos to stick around, but they're not going to win that game. I think they're going to beat Hawaii. That is a long road trip. And of the teams at home, they don't, they shouldn't be scaring New Mexico or anybody really just because Timmy Chang's still working on things in year two of him. And they're still trying to read. Yeah, I, they do, I do think that, you know, you could lay a case for Hawaii to make progress. And, and that's something we're going to get to in another team, pro, another podcast for another time. Yeah, they got Brandon Schrager, the, QB. That helps experience. Yeah. I do think the difference between these two teams, at least at present, you know, on paper, Hawaii might be able to take a similar step forward on offense, but I don't know if their defense is as sound as the Lobos might be, I would expect to be on paper. So that's why I have them winning that game as well. And then I have them losing versus UNLV and losing versus Utah State. Yeah, I don't I think they'll beat UNLV, but I do think they'll beat Utah State. Utah State's a close one. I'm going to lean to a team that's had more success for a while in Utah State. But it's at home. It's very winnable because I like Cooper Goff for Utah State, but they lose running backs. Um, there's a lot, a lot of defenders to the Big 12, apparently, like they're going to BYU and other schools. And we'll, again, we'll discuss that. Or we did discuss that season when it came out a while back. But I still think New Mexico can't or the Aggies can't get it done over to Mexico, but that's a game where they can win New Mexico, Utah state with how they played last year. They're so up and down, but I have them losing three of those four at home in conference play. Yeah, I do have them. Uh, what do I have them? I think there's, I have them two and two in those home games. The other wins Utah state, right? Because you mentioned, yes. That. Okay. And Hawaii, right? Yeah, and then on the road, like I said, that road schedule is brutal, but I do like their chances to beat Nevada. Yeah, I think they could be. I still think Nevada's. This is these are the two worst teams of the conference, and so it's like do I put my thinking was it's a road game that matters for New Mexico, but I think with Dylan Hopkins, they may have, they'll have the better quarterback. I think that, and assuming he's healthy and good to go, and what we expect, I think they're going to win that game as well, and that's. Honestly, they're not beating Wyoming, Matt. They're not beating Boise State. not beating Fresno State. That's not happening. So what do you got for a record? I have them winning two conference games. So it's two and six and five and seven overall. A three-game improvement over last year. Yeah, I've got them at five and seven as well. Uh, three and five in conference. I do think with what way the schedule, like we mentioned they had, there, it can go a couple games can go either way, like which is there's a big swing for them going from like one win to five wins. I could honestly see a scenario where the only win is Tennessee Tech because how much better, like in Mexico State, I have that as a win's kind of upset. They go to UMass and that being super long road trip and even talent. Nevada could go either way, I think. And I think Hawaii has a touch more talent, but we're going to get together in every aspect. So there's a lot of question marks who they play, but. Getting beyond five, I think five is like literally their best case scenario because UNLV maybe because that's one of my losses on there, but I think five is the best case scenario from this year, and I guess I'm leaning toward that. Yeah, I mean, I think five is definitely being optimistic, 
But I would also say, like, I don't think it's impossible to envision them beating New Mexico State and getting to the sixth win. There's enough winnable games here where, like, nothing, like, you know, I, I don't think they're going to yeah. seriously compete with the conference championship or anything. But, like, if you gave me, I don't know, 10 to 1 odds to go bowling this year, would you take that? Uh, yeah. No, I think that, that's too good. It's not impossible to envision, is what I'm saying. And I do think that Correct. I'm sort of staking my claim that of the teams that I think, you know, the among our staff writers and maybe uh, just as equally among the conference media as a whole, I'm sort of staking my claim that of the teams that are generally projected to be near the bottom of the conference, I am most bullish on this Lobos team. I think they're going to take a step forward this year one way or another. It's just a matter of how much. Agree one second. FPI gives them a 27% chance to go to a bowl game. That is the lowest in the conference, FYI. So, but I agree with you. Like, the bottom couple teams are Hawaii, New Mexico, and Nevada. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. And I just don't trust Nevada without a quarterback. I put Hawaii, New Mexico kind of neck and neck because of Hopkins and Vincent's what we think they could be or projected to be. I, I I'm basically agreeing with you. I'm not sure if they're better than I have them beating Hawaii, but that would that's pretty close. But after that, everybody's like even UNLV is quite a bit of step up. But I do think the matter could be, or excuse me, the Mexico could be. And I guess right now I do have project, projecting them to be the best at bottom tier, which is good. They just need steps. Like Danny Gonzalez can't go back to can't go two wins, can't go winless like he did a COVID year. They need to get four wins minimum. To show, hey, we got a little something here going, mm-hmm. and then he'll, and then what they'll do because here's the thing too, it's like uh, listen, split zone, the coaching stuff they do with Godfrey and everything. He's in year four. He signed a five year deal. Like he's not going to go into a final year of a, con- of a contract where recruiting and you're expiring that year. So they're going to probably do it's going to be like just a courtesy extension for looks and visuals. But if he legit wants to earn that and maybe get a bump in pay, getting to at least four wins. Could be the mm-hmm. case because as long because they're not going to fire him, they may say next year contract doesn't doesn't expire, just expires and goes away. It's kind of weird what to do, but I do think for him to get a legit year or two extension tacked onto it, got to get the four wins. That's fair, and I think that's what they should strive for. And it's not going to be easy because look how many Matt we went through the offense, defense, the whole team ops, the whole game, everything with the Lobos. They lost a lot of players on town. They're not the only team. So like, well, don't just pick on the Lobos. But the key players have left. Cody Moon has left. Their Moster secondary has left. They lose players frequently, but hopefully it works out for them this time around. Sounds good. But I don't think a bowl game's happening this year. I guess we will see. We will see. And that does it for our New Mexico Lobos uh, preview. We'll be back uh, soon. Camp's coming up. We've got our top 50 countdown going on. We've got some more like early previews of camp news going out now down the next little bit. I guess I, well, I shouldn't be mentioning this because they're supposed to be self-contained, but listen to all of our preview podcast and we'll let you know on Twitter at MWCR who will be next. So keep checking that out and vote and we'll be back next time.